Welcome to River Life Podcasts. We're a church family embracing the Father's presence, releasing empowered people to declare and demonstrate Christ's kingdom. We trust that God would use what you hear today to bless and grow you so that you would be a blessing to those around you. For more information about River Life Baptist Church, go to riverlifechurch.org.au or find us on social media. Good morning, church. I'm so excited for, for today and just being in your company. It's, uh, it's an exciting season in the life of our church, kicking off. And, and uh, I, I, was, I was preparing for today's message. Um, I, was, I came across a poem, and I thought I'd start out with a poem. It's, uh, you may have heard of it. It's a poem that's called Solomon Grundy. Has anyone ever heard that poem before? Solomon Grundy. If you've heard it, you know it. Feel free to join in if you wish. It goes like this. It says, Solomon Grundy, born on a Monday, christened on Tuesday, married on Wednesday, took ill on Thursday, grew worse on Friday, died on Saturday, buried on Sunday. And that was the end of Solomon Grundy. Now, I had never heard this poem until recently, but I was told that this is meant to be a, like a nursery rhyme for kids. And, and it's something you would you know, teach them the days of the week with, you know, as you're tucking them into bed at night. You know, you know now, now sleep well, child. I'm thinking, who wants to go to sleep after hearing a poem like that? I mean, poor Solomon Grundy. Seriously, I mean, it seems like he had all this potential in life and he did nothing with it. Born on Monday. Tuesday wasn't so bad. By Wednesday, it looked like something good might be coming, but no. Buried on Sunday. And you finish a poem thinking something like that this, this inkling suspicion, surely there must have been more to life than this. And in response to this question, I'm reminded of the words of Jesus who made a claim that has transformed more lives than any other claim in the history of the world who answers it saying effectually, yes, there is more, but you'll have to follow me to find it. Now we've been going through a series called New Things as many are making plans and seeking direction for the year ahead. And today I want to talk about living towards the promises of God and a message entitled, Grasshoppers Don't Eat Grapes. It's an unusual name, so in case your neighbor wasn't listening, I want you to turn to them now and tell them, Grasshoppers Don't Eat Grapes. Go ahead. It's, it's such an unusual phrase, it's just become something that's hard to forget. It, it's stuck in your mouth like a, like a chewy piece of, of candy. The Numbers 13, as we read today, we're going to find out that there are three G's we're looking at. We've got grapes, we've got giants, and we've got grasshoppers. Now God tells Israel to enter into the promised land where there are good grapes. But in this promised land of grapes, they are going to encounter opposition from giants. And so the people that were told to enter the promised land, 
became afraid, like small grasshoppers, afraid, unwilling to move into God's promises. Therefore, our title, which will we remember, grasshoppers don't eat grapes. But here's where we have something fantastic. We discover something amazing. Caleb and Joshua show us the power for living towards God's promises. And we can apply these things to our year ahead. You know, they became the only ones in that generation who would enter into the promised land, who would go to enjoy the grapes. And doing so required bold faith. It required an awareness of their identity and the courage to act. Now, their courage wasn't based on their intelligence or their own personal strength or their position in life, but their faith came by, was a bold faith because they, they trust in the one who was making the promise all along. Now, my passion driving this message today is this. I want you to have your best year yet in 2019. And if whatever plans we might be making, whatever goals we might lay out, I want us to live boldly towards the promises of God, to live towards His plans. You know, the psalmist says, show me your ways, Lord. Teach me your paths. And our best path forward is going to be living towards the promises within God's plan. And I really believe that the greatest witness for the transforming power of God's love in our community is going to be this, a healthy church boldly pursuing God's presence, His promises. It's not just living Monday through Sunday with nothing in between, but to use our freedom that we enjoy in Christ to boldly pursue God's promises in the year ahead. Because you know, Israel, they knew freedom, but they didn't know how to live towards the promise. And a generation ended up wandering in the desert for 40 years. And at the end of 2019, I want us to look back and know that we did not wander, but we used our freedom to live with a bold and dynamic faith towards God's promises ahead. That we would realize that every choice, every conversation, every relationship, Every character choice is a battleground where we get to decide faith, to live by faith. That whatever giants we face in those moments, that we would hear God's voice calling us forward with a promise. A voice that says, take heart. Whatever may come, take heart. For I have overcome the world. Let's just pray as we begin once more. Father, would you open our minds and hearts to hear your words for us today. Lord, as we open your scriptures now, I pray that you would just speak life into our year ahead, that you would encourage a bold faith, that we would pursue you with all we have, trusting in your truth and your promises. Father, may we apply these, these ways of life that Caleb and Joshua teach to us. And we pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. You know, 400 years Israel was in slavery in Egypt before God moved and brought freedom. This was a generation who had seen, with their own eyes, had seen the miraculous events of of the locusts 
the hail and more in Egypt. They had seen God part the Red Sea and save them from Pharaoh's army. And Exodus 13 tells us that they could see a visible sign of God's presence with them, a cloud, a pillar of cloud during the day and a pillar of fire at night. And yet they had a desert problem. They had become stuck in this season of transition, life between a past and a promise because they had become afraid to follow after God's promises. And so they would end up wandering through the desert 40 years. Every day, tired heart circles. You can imagine it. Monday through Sunday, boring rock after boring rock until one day, like Solomon Grundy, they would die. And it would be the next generation that would enter the promised land for exception of two men of great faith, Caleb and Joshua. They alone had the courage to pursue God's promises. So what happened? You can imagine 40 years is a long time to think about what would have happened that fateful day. I miss a car exit and take a wrong turn. 40 years of a wrong direction. You're thinking to yourself, they must have just thought about this day every day. It tells about this day in Numbers 13, 1 through 27. It says, the Lord said to Moses, send some men to explore the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the Israelites. And so Moses picked 12 men, one from every tribe, and sends them to go spy out the land, go check it out. Verse 17 goes on to say, where it says, Moses says, go up to the Negev and up into the hill country, See what the land is like and whatever the people are, and see what, whether the people are like, whether they are strong or weak, few or many. What kind of land do they live in? What kind of towns do they live in? Are they walled or unwalled or fortified? How's the soil? Do your best to bring back some fruit of the land. And so they went up and explored the land. And when they reached the valley of Eshkol, they cut off a branch bearing a single cluster of grapes. Two of them carried it on a pole between them. Now these must have been some massive grapes, right? These were here. It took two guys to carry it between them, just a single cluster. But it's not so much about the grapes. I mean, this land was beautiful, it was fruitful, it was full of possibility. But it's not the grapes themselves, it's what these grapes represented to the people. It represented a foretaste of God's promise to bless. This anticipated long-for return into the promised land that their parents had left 400 years before. Now they had never seen this land. They had never been in this place before, but they were told that there is a place that they belong, a place that they, had call, they can call home. So you can imagine this excitement as these former slaves are sitting in the middle of this desert place. And here comes their friends after exploring the land, coming down the hill with this gigantic, hilariously Costco-sized size of grapes, just massive. And they begin to share it around and to taste and to enjoy, and the anticipation is building. Because it's only a taste of yet the better things ahead. And the Lord had already said it was theirs to enjoy. I am giving you this land. 
Did you know that God has a plan for grapes in our life? The famous passage of Jeremiah 29, 11 says, For the, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans to give you grapes and more grapes. Well, close. Plans to give you a hope and a future, a, a promise of something more. And this plan came into focus in the life of Jesus, who is echoing the language of Exodus in Luke 4.18. He says, He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, and to set the oppressed free. Why? John 10.10, 10, that they may have life and life to the full. So even today, Jesus is offering us the foretaste of what's yet to have, to live towards the promise. And so often he said to people, come and see, come and see, come experience, come and know, come and taste, come explore, come enter into God's plans, follow me. Psalm 34, 8 says, taste and see that the Lord is good. So even for us, it's, it's not just a, a nod your head, a mental exercise. It's a, an experience, a lived reality in our daily life to pursue God's promises Monday through Sunday, boldly going after Christ. C.S. Lewis writes, if we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the Gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. And like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in the slum, we go because he cannot imagine what is meant by an offer of the holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. So as we live towards God's promises, the first step is this. Put yourself in a position to listen. Our first step is doing this. Positioning our lives to hear God's good plans in our life. A business article I was recently reading said that 80% of New Year's resolutions fail by February. So listening takes more than good intention. You know, the people I know who listen really well to God's plan live towards his promises. They have a daily routine of saying, I'm just going to hear from God, spend time in his word and prayer and worship. I have to position my life to listen because if I don't end up make, if I don't make time for this, I end up losing time because I'm not aware of the grapes, the opportunities, the things that God's calling me towards. So listening actually saves time. Because when we're hearing God's voice, those places in our life that we're spending most of our mental time and energy, suddenly God will speak into them. And we have clarity on how to take a next step forward. Wisdom, courage to go for it. I heard one friend say to me that when I wake up in the morning, I hope I'm never stuck in, these, uh, in a position where I only have time for one thing. If I only have time for pants or prayer, it's going to be tough. We have to position our lives to hear God's voice so that when we encounter the giants ahead, we, when the bottom falls out, when strife comes, we know that it is just a bump along the way as we live towards God's promises. But let's listen to what happens in the story next. Numbers 13, 27 reads on, the spies reported, we went into the land to which you sent us. And it does flow with milk and honey. Here is its fruit. But 
The people who live there are powerful and the cities are fortified and very large. We, only, we even saw descendants of Anak there. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, we should go up and take possession of the land for we can certainly do it. We can do it. Within these fortified walls stood these descendants of Anak. These are, these are giants. These are known fighters of the time. You may have heard of one of their relatives of Goliath. And so you hear this, this, this story where they're in this position where, where they're, they're on the cusp of making a choice whether they're about to pick a battle with some of the biggest, baddest people in town. And Caleb doesn't ignore the fact that there's going to be a battle. He doesn't say it's going to be easy, but it's clear that he makes one thing clear, that their future was worth fighting for. Their future was worth fighting for. Caleb knew whatever every follower of Christ soon discovers, that if you want to have the grapes, you have to be prepared to enter into the land of giants. Living towards the promises of God And the second step is this then, prepare for battle in the land of giants. You know, it really doesn't matter what age you are, how many church services you've been to, your position in life. All of us must decide and then keep deciding whether we are going to just sit back and let life happen to us, or are we prepared to battle for the promises towards God's plan? Are we prepared to battle for our families? to battle for our choices of character, to battle for what's good and right. And the battle begins on bended knee where we pray out to God, in the midst of it all, Lord, I will trust in your promises. One elderly woman had this daily habit of praying this prayer, Lord, if you furnish the grace, I'll furnish the grit. I think one of the mistakes that's so tempting to believe is that if God wants us to have something, we won't need to fight for it. It's an attitude that says, if God's will is in this, somehow it's just going to happen. Somehow it won't cost me anything. It's just going to appear. But if that were true, why would Jesus talk about laying down our lives at all? Why bother with the cross at all? Because we already know there are plenty of battles and things in our life that aren't a part of God's plan at all. And yet as we pursue the promises, we discover that in the battle, God who is with us is making us more like Him, shaping our character, our integrity, our thought life, our words, our actions, and it reflects into every relationship we have, every conversation, every action. Jesus even talks about the battle and counts the cost in the garden. He knows the cross is ahead, and he cries to the Father, Lord, is there any other way? He counts the cost, and yet he's willing to pay because there's a greater promise ahead. Now, this is not a question of our salvation, but our growth and formation, to act in faith when our moments of battle come. While the crowd sits around Caleb, He silences them to say, let's go for it. We can certainly do this. Caleb doesn't think he can do it in his own strength. It's not about his intelligence or anything like that. You know, his name 
actually meant dog in the original language. You can imagine his whole life growing up being called a dog as a slave in Egypt. It's not the kind of dog that puts on a dress on occasion, gets a bone every night, maybe a little bit of milk. This is like a street desert dog. This is, this is not a nice name. So you can imagine what he's thinking. We can do it. We can do it. When he says we, he's thinking not just about we, he's thinking about we. This is about God's presence with him. How many of us know that when God is on our side, the size of the battle doesn't really matter for the outcome? Paul writes this, if God is for us, who can stand against us? When I read this passage, I don't know about you, but I can't help but have a picture of Caleb in my mind, standing in the crowd, Egypt in the background, but face steadfast towards a promise ahead. Perhaps he's thinking something like, you know, I was once a slave, and I've been called a dog my whole life, but my God who has delivered me from my past will not fail to lead me into his promise. I am not content to spend my whole life wandering in the desert. I've got to go forward because I'm not going back. Max Licato writes, faith is the grit in the soul that puts the dare into dreams. The story continues, verses 31 to 33. But the men who had gone up with him said, we can't attack these people. They are stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. They said, the land we explored devours those living within it. All the people we saw there were of great size. We can't do this, guys. They're, they're giants. And the verse finishes, we seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we looked the same to them. Have you ever noticed how our beliefs so often determine our perceptions? I was recently reading this story of this developmental biologist, John Medina, and he described an experiment where researchers organized a whole lot of professional wine tasters to drink and describe what appeared to be a red glass of wine and, and a white glass of wine. Now, wine tasters are, are famously known for having these sensitive palates, right? Who have this ability to describe in great detail whatever they are enjoying. But the story goes on, it says, they sat down and they took notes, first on the red wine, and would say things like, fruity, smooth, hint of elderberry. And then the white wine, crisp, light, I don't know, a twist. But the story goes on to say that the professional tasters, not one of them, not one of them realized that they were in fact tasting the very same wine in both circumstances. What they thought was the red wine was actually the very same white wine and they just put red food coloring in it. Their beliefs had radically shifted the description of their perceptions. That is the power of a belief. You see, when you've been listening to God's plan over your life, 
And it's something you dwell on, you chew on, and you know it deep down, and you're pursuing it. That's what gives you boldness to pursue what you've come to believe. So our third step is this, let your belief inspire your boldness. Caleb's boldness came by belief. He lived in the same environment as everyone else, but he had a very different perspective. Twelve spies knew the promises of God. Twelve spies saw the giants, but only two believed they could enter the land. Caleb, and later we hear of Joshua. And the perception of the remaining spies was this. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we looked the same to them. But when Caleb looked around and looked up, he saw the pillar of God's presence with the people and said, come and watch a giant fall. You know, when God calls you into a battle, it's only a matter of time until you begin to see giants fall. You could be stuck in an addiction. You could be stuck in a broken pattern of thinking, enslaved a way of speaking to someone, and you know it's not right. And maybe you've made a past resolution because you knew the battle was beyond your own strength. But like Caleb, when we look up and see God's presence with us, we realize it's not beyond His. Let belief inspire your bold faith in the battle because it's only a matter of time until you're going to begin to watch as giants fall. French war hero Marshall Ferdinand once said this, there are no hopeless situations. There are only men and women who have grown hopeless about them. Grasshoppers don't eat grapes because their beliefs have pushed them into a prison rather than a promise. Fear had overcome their faith and they become like grasshoppers. And at the heart of the story is a question that we all must answer in our own life. Will we choose trust in the promises of God? Will we choose faith over fear? We read of a fear response first. Numbers 14, one through five continues. All night, the members of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. If only we had died in Egypt, or in the wilderness. I mean, wouldn't it be better for us to go back into Egypt? It's almost unbelievable. After all God had done for them, after all they had seen with their own eyes, they're suddenly ready to turn back. That they'd rather return to the history that they knew than pursue the destiny that God was calling them forward towards. And we can see this even in people's lives today. When people become afraid, it's tempting to turn back to what's familiar. Where we've had a moment of clarity, but suddenly we encounter a giant and it's easier to return back to the prison that we knew than pursue the promises ahead. Fear has this power of enslaving us to a history, but faith propels us towards the promises ahead. Neither of them are easy, but only one is good and right, and so we keep choosing faith. In every battle, in every moment, faith. 
And we hear this response in Numbers 14, 6-9, because Joshua and Caleb then respond. It says, Joshua and Caleb, who were among those who had explored the land, tore their clothes. It's a sign of anguish, of distress. And they said to the entire community, the land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. And the whole community then began to grumble and talked about stoning them to death. They didn't win any popularity contests that day. And a bit later on, the Lord finally responds. In verse 27, he says, How long will this wicked community grumble against me? I have heard the complaints of these grumbling Israelites. So tell them, as surely as I live, declares the Lord, I will do to you the very thing I have heard you say. Fine, have it your way. In this wilderness, your bodies will fall, every one of you 20 years or old or more. Not one of you will enter the land I swore with uplifted hand to make your home, except Caleb and Joshua. As for your children that you said they were going to be taking this plunder, I'm going to bring them into the land and enjoy the land you have rejected. See, God didn't reject the people. The people rejected the promise. God allowed them to live by their choices of belief, a belief that was ultimately a rejection of the promise. And that's why we can say today, grasshoppers don't eat grapes. Grapes, giants, grasshoppers. Remind us of three things in the year ahead. The grapes reminds us that God has a good plan for our life. And so we listen to hear that plan, to know his voice, that voice that calls us forward. A voice that promises us good news despite the circumstance. The giants remind us that there will be trouble ahead. There will be opposition as we pursue the promise. And so we live with courage, with bold faith to keep pursuing despite the moment because we're living towards a greater promise ahead. And the grasshoppers remind us to keep choosing faith over fear. That as we listen, that as we live with courage, that we keep moving forward one step at a time. Because it's not about our size. It's not about our history of where we've been. You could have been called a dog your whole life. It's not about us. It's about our connection to the one who's made the promise. It's not our strength, it's his that we lean upon. He's the one that's made the promise. And so we step forward in bold faith as we pursue the promises ahead. Just invite you to close your eyes and we'll, we'll dim the lights. I'll give you a, a time of reflection 
and then we'll come back for an opportunity for prayer. And in, in, heading into this reflection, I want to read a passage out of Romans that summarizes our message in the best kind of way. Paul says this, and I want you to hear the echoes of the passage we've read today as I read it. It says, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because Christ Jesus, through Him, the law of the Spirit who gives life, has set you free from sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do, what we couldn't do in our own strength, because it was weakened by the flesh, God did it by sending His own Son. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you receive brought about your adoption into a promise. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who then could be against us? Are you prepared to live towards the promises of God in the year ahead? Father, we thank you that we can trust in your goodness and your faithfulness that whatever may come, we know that you are good and dependable. Whatever giants we face, we hear your voice calling us forward. Thanks for listening to this River Life podcast. Make sure you subscribe to keep up to date with all the latest content. If this podcast has raised any questions for you, contact us via church at riverlifechurch.org.au or through Facebook and Instagram. Thanks for listening.